Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. It's the middle with Anthony Weiner on WABC. Taking a step back to look at things with a new perspective. It's the middle with Anthony Weiner. And good afternoon. I'm Anthony Weiner, and thank you for meeting me in the middle an hour every Saturday at 2 o'clock when we take some steps away from the hot takes of the far left and the far right and try to bring some context to the news of the week or a subject that doesn't find its way into the middle of the conversation. Now, so great to have you along on this rainy afternoon. We've got Ryan running the show on the other side of glass. He's producing today. Kevin is off somewhere. And already Ryan is starting to put his... Fingerprints all over this operation, make everyone salute him as if we walk by, making everyone wear their underwear outside their pants like in Bananas, the old Woody Allen movie. We don't want to cross him because we don't know exactly where Kevin is. There was a smell coming out of Kevin's office, and uh, we're afraid of Ryan. We'll put it that way. Ava, I think I saw it come in to handle the calls. It's great to have you along. Every Saturday from 2 to 3, and then at 3 o'clock, Curtis Lewa comes in. Curtis is loaded for bear, as usual. Curtis will be doing his... Uh, I think 80th and 81st hour of radio this afternoon. It'd be great to have him come in. You can listen to us live, obviously, on the radio, over Trusser Radio, the old-fashioned way, the way I do it at home, or you can download the app or wbcradio.com. And you can always get this as a podcast almost immediately after we are done. Um, if you want to reach out to me, it's easy to do, 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. You can always tweet at me at at Rep Wiener. They're going to let your tweet go through. Wiener, W-A-B-C at gmail.com. It's great to have you here. It's kind of a little bit of an unusual Saturday afternoon for me. Usually Jordan plays his hockey games on Sunday, and he has a road game. Not only does he have a road game, but he has it right in the middle of the show. I think he's on the ice at um, actually just about 3 o'clock, so just about when, when we're heading in to talk to Curtis. And so his mom is going to be taking him. I'm, I'm of two minds. You know, Jordan is turning, I guess he's turning 11 this this month. We're having a party for him and his friends on Friday. I'm of two minds of this. On one hand, I like it that he counts on me to be there to help him tie his skates and to give him a pep talk. On the other hand, you know, it's a rite of passage that he's got to learn to do that stuff. By the end of this year, his coach says he's got to carry his own bag, get all his gear on. None of the parents are allowed in the locker room, so I'm excited for him and hopefully uh, – he will do well. Yesterday, as he and I were watching the hockey game, I couldn't get childcare to look out for him, so I missed the nice birthday celebration for Margot Katsimatidis. John was honored at the Tunnel to Tower Foundation Gala last night. A belated happy birthday to her, and congratulations to John. And a great organization, the Tunnels to Tower organization. They, they've talked about a lot on this station. I got a, a chance to know them almost from the very beginning. 
um, involved with their walks and runs. They let me speak at a couple of the events. I even participated a couple of times. They're an amazing organization. Obviously, John has been very supportive, and Margot was honored. Happy birthday to her. And it was yesterday between periods of the hockey game that the word started to spread about DeGrom signing with Texas. You know, always the hardest thing to do is when you are a fan of a great player is to be able to say, you know what, he's on the downside of his career. But it always, almost without exception, you know, father time, mother time, it you can't do the kind of things that professional athletes do at the level that they do and not look at the data. There's a certain point where just statistically it drops off, just the amount of hours, the amount of throws, the amount of, you know, no one is immune to it. And so it is clear that DeGrom is in that part of his campaign. He's on the downside. Make no mistake. I mean, I such a huge fan. Watching him was amazing. It's a great gift. I'm going to be able to say for the foreseeable future, I watched the greatest pitcher ever to ever to throw. But you know, Texas gave him thirty a thirty four year old pitcher one hundred eighty five million dollars for five years, actually for six years, right? Because it's a one year option, which would make it two hundred twenty two million dollars. And I mean, one way to look at it is of the one hundred one wins that the Mets had this year, Degrom had five of them. And you know, you've heard the stat: thirty eight starts over the last three years. I guess everything is bigger in Texas, including. Big mistakes. I wish him nothing but the best. Usually, when it's something like this, you know, I talked to a lot of Met fans the last couple of hours or so, my friends, and people are not saying it was a, that the Mets made a mistake. They are saying now that you're saving that money, maybe go across town and uh, take a run at Judge or something else. Um, by the way, here's an, another little piece of context. You know, I'm a big hockey fan. No NHL player in history has ever made $150 million in his entire career. And DeGrom is getting $185 million for five years of our, what are in, undoubtedly going to be his least productive years. Um, so good luck to him. It's a loss for the Mets, obviously. Um, speaking of losses, the USA defeated by the Netherlands 3-1. to one. You, know, you know, we're sports fans, some of us. We've seen matches like the one we watched this morning where one team dominated. As a matter of fact, just last night, the hockey game, the Islanders dominated. Had they put almost 50 shots on goal against Nashville. Nothing seemed to go in. We've seen – and with the United States, it was like – the match had very much a feel like the USA was doing well. Now, I know as much about soccer as – I don't know anything about soccer. Um, I still call it soccer. But there were opportunities. It was like an exciting – kind of game where, you know, the, it seemed like the USA was having opportunities. Have time. And then a counter here, a counter there, and before you know it, just you realize the difference is, is can you make, you know, can you take advantage of it? But listen, I enjoyed the run. It was fun. We can now go another four years without talking about soccer, unless we want to. I know it's a popular sport. They're building a stadium for out in Queens. Um, but on to some of the more political noteworthy things of the of the week. Um, much of the drama of the election is behind us. I had an opportunity to speak. It was really kind of emotional and um, and bittersweet and just – it was very nice actually. No bitter at all. It was just sweet. I had a chance to go back and speak at the Thomas Jefferson Democratic Club, my home Democratic Club, when I was coming up as a councilman, as a congressman. And it's also the home Democratic Club of Hakeem Jeffries and Chuck Schumer. And it is just really amazing that – you know, 
Brooklyn is like is the center of the political universe. I mean, Hakeem Jeffries is the minority leader in the House, but he's the speaker in waiting. Chuck Schumer is obviously the majority leader. These are people whose jobs are in the Constitution in the immediate secession to the White House. They're very important people. And what's going to happen? And just mark my words. You, you you all listen a lot to, to somewhat conservative radio and Fox News and other places. They are going to make Brooklyn into what San Francisco was. They're going to try to, you know, the way San Francisco became shorthand and and Nancy Pelosi became a villain. We talked a little bit about it on my podcast, the, the Middle Unplugged, which I would encourage you to go download. It's episode six this week. We have a I talk a little bit about why someone would feed election ballots to their chickens. There's really a story I tell. So go take a look at that. But. Brooklyn is going to become shorthand for everything bad in the country. Now, I'm going to tell you this. The way the modern Congress works, this is enormous good news for people within the sound of my voice, for people in New York, for people in the East Coast, for people in urban areas, um, because it used to be that the powerful people in Congress were spread out. If you were the chairman of the Transportation Committee and you needed to get something done on transportation, you'd have to go to that guy or you'd have to have a seat on that committee. If you wanted something done on housing, if you wanted something done on tax, you had to go to the Ways and Means Committee. The way Congress is now with so few bills getting passed and these big omnibus bills being the way things get done, you know who you need to know? You need to know the leaders of the two parties and you need to know the leaders of the two houses. And here it is. We have a leader. We have two leaders who are able to do things, to get things into bills and get things moving that need to get moving. You know, today – Lyndon Baines Johnson wouldn't be LBJ the way we, we, we know him from the history books as being this great legislative mastermind. Now it's these mega bills that a lot gets stuffed into and if you know someone that's decorating that Christmas tree, um, you're in good shape. And so for New Yorkers, it's really good that we have um, Hakeem Jeffries who is not a radical lefty part of the party. He's a moderate guy. As a matter of fact, much of the way he rose to power in the House was aggressively pushing off the AOC wing of the party. And but that won't stop the people from trying from, you know, the 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 political types from trying to make him a villain, but I'm telling you right now, um he's not. He's he is the kind of guy you're not going to agree with him all the time, but he's a reasonable guy, fairly centrist. And if Brooklyn is up, uh I was down. Um the Democratic Party has finally decided, really it's it's Joe Biden the way it works. The in if you're the president you run your party. If you're the if you don't have the presidency, it's much more the it's much more diffuse. It's much more run like a committee. Well, Joe Biden runs the the Democratic National Committee right now, and he says he is done with Iowa. He is done with caucuses. He's done with Iowa's first in the nation status. He never did well there. I don't like it either. I was a Hillary guy. I didn't like that place either. Unless I run for president someday, and then we'll figure out a way to delete this tape. Um. But now I was out of the leading role. It is now going to be South Carolina for Democrats going one. Second is still not clear. It's either going to be in Nevada or New Hampshire, then Georgia, then Michigan. That's the way it, you know, how that order all works out. South Carolina looks like it's going to be the first. And why is South Carolina? Well, it's a more diverse. It's more diverse. It's more. It's it's got you know. It's it's a more diverse kind of state, and it's the state, not coincidentally, that launched uh, Joe Biden after he lost badly in Iowa and New Hampshire. So there are not going to be any more caucuses, and thank goodness that there aren't. Caucuses were a pain in the butt. Remember last time, it took them weeks to figure out who even won. I mean, talk about it, and I think Buttigieg eventually won. Things are a lot more messy on the Republican side, and that brings us to the numbers of the week. Um, four 
is the vote that that's all Kevin McCarthy can lose four votes if he wants to become speaker. The margin is likely to be 212, 222 to 212. He needs 218. So he does not have a lot of room for error. Another number of the week, 18 Republicans that are now in the House of Representatives that are in districts that Joe Biden won. Meaning, assuming Biden's at the top of the ticket, they're going to be under a lot of pressure. Only five Democrats are in Trump districts at this point. So already you can see the battle for the House of Representatives gearing up. And so expect two years of tense partisan battles. But when we come back from the break, I'm going to tell you what the number 187 means. That's how many years ago the Treaty of New Echota was signed. And I'm going to explain to you why that belongs here on our show called The Middle. See you on the other side, 800-848-WABC. Thank you so much for joining us. On the weekend, take a journey with the people's mayor. Curtis Lewa is a politician who says don't trust politicians. On another side of midnight with Curtis Lewa. The iconic, the legendary Curtis Lewa. This city doesn't sleep and neither does Curtis Lewa. On another side of midnight. Weekend overnights, Saturdays from 1 to 6 a.m. And Sunday from midnight to 6 a.m. 77 WABC. This is The Middle with Anthony Weiner, 77 WABC. And welcome back to The Middle. I'm Anthony Weiner. That's Crowded House bringing us back in. Um, want to hear from you, 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. Curtis Lee will come in at 3 o'clock. We're going to talk a little bit about Twitter, about anti-Semitism, about the mayor's efforts to get the mentally challenged off our streets. We've got a lot to talk about. Um, but I left you with a little bit of a cliffhanger. That's called radio. We do cliffhangers around here. Um, that's part of the new Ryan regime here is we are very into appointment-setting radio. Um, and, uh, so the, one of the numbers that I had left off on is 187 years ago, um, the treaty of new Echota. Now, you know, that one of the things that I try to hang our hat on here at the middle is I look for places, I look for issues, I look for ideas that maybe if we'd listened a little less to the fringe of the far left and the far right, we'd be able to kind of get some stuff done that there are stuff. And, and it is, as I described coming in here about how narrow the margin is in the house. And how really the presidential campaign has begun with uh, Donald Trump announcing he's running and it's like things are underway. It's going to be harder and harder to kind of think about places that Democrats and Republicans could work together. But something emerged this last week, um, actually late last month, that um, made me think a little bit about this issue. So the Treaty of Chota um, was signed between representatives of the Cherokee Nation and the United States of America. It was negotiated – it was negotiated under the presidency of Andrew Jackson. It was ratified by the Senate. And basically what needed to happen was there was reason to believe that there was gold in the Deep South, particularly in Georgia. And the federal government had to make room for white settlers. Basically, to white settlers wanted to move to the Deep South, this migration that was taking place in the, in the early to mid-1800s. 
And so they first – they had to do what we have always done in this country, figure out what to do with the Native Americans that live there. And so a, a, tr- a treaty was negotiated. Now, it it was controversial, but a treaty was negotiated that 16,000 – that led to 16,000 Cherokee members trekking west to Oklahoma and about a quarter of them wind up perishing, about 4,000 of them, what's called the Trail of Tears. It wasn't just the Cherokee there. I think there were four other – other tribes, other nations that had um, – that were forced, forced off the land. Now, this treaty left a lot to be desired. I mean it wasn't really negotiated with true representatives of the Cherokee Nation and who didn't have any desire to leave and really didn't – they didn't want to leave. This is their ancestral homeland. They were given $5 million by the federal government as part of this deal. The land they were granted – the Osage Indians were already on it, <laughs> so it, they kind of – even after they finished this trek, they then had to essentially deal with another um, another dispossessed – another group of dispossessed people. So why am I talking about this now? Well, one element of the treaty, as flawed as it was, was an article in it that said that the Cherokee Nation – and I'm going to read a quote now – shall be entitled to a delegate in the House of Representatives – and it does have a second clause that says, whenever Congress shall make provision for the same. Now, that was signed in 1835, 187 years ago in December. since you know, so it's about almost exactly 187 years ago. Um, shall be entitled, not may, shall be. As part of this, this treaty that was signed, um, it says shall be entitled. So what's a delegate? Well, a delegate is someone who sits in the House of Representatives – they can't vote on final passage of anything, but they can sit on committees. They can address the House, and very often the House meets in something called the Committee of the Whole, which is basically the entire House to be able to make make things move quicker and, and with more and and do more efficiently. So they'd be able to vote in that as well. We right now have, have well, we I was going to say six. We have five delegates. The American Samoa has a delegate. The U.S. Virgin Islands has a delegate. Guam has a delegate. The District of Columbia has a delegate. And the Northern Mariana Islands has a delegate. And then we have something called a resident commissioner from Puerto Rico. So why don't we have the Cherokee Nation? Why haven't they ever gotten this? Well, Congress never kind of – it's hard to say. They just never got around to doing it or had any desire to do it. And you could also put it in the broad rubric of things we promised to Native Americans that we didn't do. But who is opposed to doing this now? The answer, amazingly, is no one. They recently had a hearing in the Rules Committee, and the Rules Committee of the House of Representatives is the most partisan committee because the Rules Committee is maybe the most powerful committee. You won't hear about it much in the newspapers, but when the speaker decides, okay, we're going to put a bill on the floor, deciding how much debate it gets, deciding who's allowed to offer amendments, what those amendments look like, etc., this this committee is the gatekeeper committee for the floor. So both the minority and the majority put their most loyal partisan people on that committee because they can't go off rogue and decide they don't want to do something. They've got to follow the will of their speaker. And the committee had a hearing on this last month. And the chairman of the committee, a guy named Jim McGovern of Massachusetts, and the Republican, the leading Republican on the middle, a guy named Tom Cole of Oklahoma, who, by the way, himself is Native American, both said that they support seating this delegate. Um, There's already, by the way, the Cherokee Nation already says they have their delegate chosen and elected, a, a woman named Kim Teehee. And it look, there's some, you know, there's some minor questions about it. This could be done literally next, 
next week when the new Congress comes in. It's, it doesn't take an extraordinary act. Now, are there some little nuancey questions about it that prevents it from happening? Um, well, one is these people in Oklahoma would essentially, the Cherokee Nation would essentially have two members, a, a congressman, because they're American citizens, they get to vote for their own congressman, and this delegate. So they kind of have super representation. But we really complain about Native Americans having too big a voice in American life. I, I really don't don't think so. So they can go ahead and do it relatively easily. Um, and so why don't they go ahead and do it? Well, there's not a great reason not to do it. We owe it to these people. We promise these people this. It doesn't take skin off of anyone else's nose. And Democrats and Republicans both kind of support it. Now, this is in a way, and by the way, 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. If you are Native American, if you have any similar stories about this, if you have any views about this issue or just want to talk about how this plays into the issues of the day, 800-848-9222, Christian will, will get you onto the board. I just want to point out that we do have this conversation that's come up on this show, comes up on, on, on this station all the time about immigration. And we always talk about, well, why don't they do it the way we did it? How come the rules seem to be different for this group of emigres? You know, this whole notion that we come through Ellis Island and we get to the other side of the turnstile and turn to the guy behind us and say, get out of my country. That's kind of like the theme of immigration in our country. And we also have this this white nationalist racist thing about white displacement theory and everything else. Well, this in the end of the day is an immigration story. This is a story about how no one has a right more pure and direct than the people that were here when all of our forefathers got here. Whatever, you know, mine didn't come here until the eight, till the almost the, the uh, 1899, 1898, I think is when, when, when Wolf Wiener came here. But all of us have stories that go pretty far back or they don't go back far but the Native Americans in our in in our country, they have the ultimate, and and you can, you know, the 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 trail of tears. We learn about it in you know in, in glancing terms in our in our high school or in our junior high school history books. Um, but it's a it's a, 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 a it's a horrible story. Now, does this make everything right? No. Does this grant them all the reparations that they're probably owed? No. But it does do a little something. It gives them a voice. And by the way, it's no, you know, they, they, they are represented by pretty, conservative, by pretty conservative people in Oklahoma. I, I don't know what that voice will be like. Wouldn't we all be benefiting a little bit by having that voice in Congress? Um, someone that can speak to that diaspora. And so um, since, since Tom Cole, by the way, I know him. I've, I've actually knew him when I was – a very decent guy, Republican, ran the Republican Congre Congressional Campaign Committee. As partisan a guy as you will meet, but a decent man, someone who really cares about his country, who really cares about doing the right thing. He and I, um, I think we went to Afghanistan together. I'm trying to remember where we, he and I traveled together. We got to know each other a little bit. He's the Republican um, leader of the, of the Rules Committee. He's an influential guy. Democrats, Nancy Pelosi has said that, you know, she's still the, the – the, or when she was, she said that she supported this. The Democrats on the committee supported it. Wouldn't it be great if one of the things that Democrats and Republicans were able to do together, it would be able to – would be to write a um, – write a, a wrong that was uh, – that dated back to 1835. So that's my final number of the week. I'd love to hear what you have to say, 800-848-WABC, 800 800 
848 can call in about this or anything else. And uh, let's um, first go to Mark on Long Island. Go ahead, Mark. Hey, Anthony. How are you? I'm well, Mark. Um, the thing that I'm not sure that you're aware of here, but during the Civil War, only a small minority of the Cherokee were on the side of the Union. The great majority of them were slaveholders, and they fought on the side of the Confederacy at battles such as Pea Ridge and stuff. Correct. Um, what actually happened, though, is at the end of the war, the, the slave-owning uh, fragment of the, of, the, of the Cherokees were required to, number one, adopt their slaves into their tribe, and two, to turn over most of their lands to white settlers. That's- so the problem is, is that on one hand, after 1820, they then became recognized as two separate groups, the Eastern Cherokee and the Western Cherokee. And the great majority of the Cherokees that we're talking about, since they were slave owners and since they had to make peace with the federal government, their lands were no longer um, applicable to the same rules of that 1820 um, treaty. And you can almost make the argument that that would be true um, throughout everything else. It would make a whole new rule for that tribe. And I think that the idea of them having a representative would have kind of been more or less anachronistic and not really uh, in light of the history that occurred after that treaty was signed. That's an excellent. And Mark, you make a collection of excellent points. One of, the, one of the problems with all of this is that this treaty that I'm hanging this whole conversation on was arguably, and I mentioned this earlier, arguably not, represent, not negotiated by true representatives of Cherokee Nation because, frankly, there were not. And, by the way, it was a little-known part about the Trail of Tears that Mark reminded us of is that many of these Cherokee that were trekking across the country had their slaves with them. I mean, they, they might have had different status at that point. They had their slaves with them. It is an unambiguously complicated time for the country and for and for Native Americans. But it doesn't change the fact that I think that we would benefit by having their voice. The board is filling up. I want to hear from you. 800-848-WABC. We're talking about ways to right injustices here on The Middle. It's so great to have you along. We'll see you on the other side. This is The Middle with Anthony Weiner on WABC. And Crowded House brings us back into The Middle. So great to have you along on this dreary afternoon in New York City. We're here until 3 o'clock, then Curtis Sliwa comes in for left versus right. We talk about some of the issues of the day. And uh, the subject we're talking about today, I just first I just want to say this. You know, Mark of Long Island called in just before the break. He calls, I mean, such thoughtful caller. It really is a little bit of a cliche, but really the show really works so well because people call in with some really great insights. Mark really should come in and host the show. He, he always has some, something interesting to say. Let's go back to the calls, 800-848-WABC, 800 848 Nine two two two. We have a call on board. Nick T in New Jersey. Nick, you're you're a member of the Cherokee Nation. Uh, well, I'm not an official member. I'm a 16th Cherokee. They told me I could sign the book if I wanted to, but I went there and I wound up not signing because I figure, you know, when they round everybody up, there should be one of us <laughs> left, right? Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, so, what do you have to say? Nonetheless, uh, well, I am. You know, I'm a Cherokee. I live in New Jersey. I think it's excellent they get representation. Um, if it was an issue that they had two representatives, it'd be very easy to redistrict. So that shouldn't be too much of an issue. Uh, just create another district. Well, the problem is it's not a function of districts. The problem is that they would be, you know. Here, so the Constitution dictates who can, the, who a member of Congress can be. 
Um, there are requirements for that, and it's based on the census and everything else. This would be a circumstance where many of them, if not all of them, live in Oklahoma, and they have their own. They have a congressman already that they voted for. And this would be kind of a more of an at-large person to represent the Cherokee Nation. So it's not a function of redistricting. It's a function of whether they would have basically a delegate on top of their member of Congress. But I don't really – look, I don't really think that's a particular – that's not a, a – a, I mean I don't think it, it matters that much if they do. No one is going to argue that Native Americans are overrepresented in Congress or overrepresented. But if they get one more person to be able to kind of talk from that position of authority about the Cherokee experience or about the Native American experience, it's probably for, um, for the best. Um, next, let's, uh, let's go to um, t- uh, Tony and Clifton. Tony, welcome back. Hi. How are you today, Anthony? I'm Good well. To talk to you. I'm thrilled because, you know, studying our history um, – you appreciate what a wonderful country we have and um you look back and say if we could do something better what we have done and this is the perfect opportunity um our native american people were amazing to us um we tried our best to get along under the circumstances and we need to make right something that was part of our history so i think this is an amazing thing and i definitely uh, want to see it go into effect ASAP. Well, I, I appreciate, Tony, I appreciate your call and the context you put around it. I mean, there is not, like, this is not a magic wand that kind of, books and books have been written. Many families within the sound of my voice can talk about the history far better than I of the United States and our ancestors kind of, you know, betraying the commitments that we made to Native Americans. But this is one that's relatively modest but might have a a real symbolic benefit because that person, whoever it is that serves in that role, will then literally have a voice on the floor of Congress and no no harm comes from hearing from the experiences that these people – you know, sometimes people interpret the idea of studying our history as saying, why do these people hate our country? Why are we teaching our kids to hate our country? No, we're – we're teaching our kids the the amount of progress that we've made, but progress is not a, a, a box check thing. It's an arc. It's a line that we draw to try to get things as right as we possibly can. And it's very, very similar. You know, it's the, the concept for those of us in recovery about amends is this idea of, you know, you sometimes do the amends not for the other person but for yourself. You do it as a country to make this country a better place and also – to explain to our children that one of the ways that we are accountable is we try to do what's right. And so having that voice in Congress, um, I think would be an excellent, um, well, it would be a start. It it would, uh, it it would be a start. Um, Let's go next to, I don't know if this is apropos of this conversation or a different one, but John on Staten Island, go ahead, John. Oh, Hey, uh, Anthony, I was uh, just trying to catch up on your thing because I had to step out and come back. Uh, you're talking about the representation of uh, people, indigenous people, into Congress. We're, we're talking about people? we're talking about a treaty that was signed by the United States of America with the Cherokee Nation in 1835, and one of the provisions said that they should be they should have a delegate in Congress, and it's two it's 182. Actually, I did the math wrong. 187 years since that um, since that um, was. 
was agreed upon, and we have yet to do it. Um, let next, let's go up to uh, to to Liz in New York City. Liz, go ahead. Okay. Well, my father was a Cherokee, came from Oklahoma, and he was discriminated against and laughed at until he went to Columbia Law School, worked his way through by working at Con Edison at night, and um, argued cases before the Supreme Court. That's amazing. Ama- amazing story. So, so you are you're a Mar- are you a member of, of of the Cherokee of the Cherokee Nation? Is that right? Yeah. And how much do you identify with that experience? How much is that part of well, how how I you self identify? Like I, I I have the slanty eyes. I have some of the features. I uh, don't pay that much attention to it though, because you know, there's discrimination, and my father really. Uh, experience. I didn't experience that, but he did. And uh, he, he lived in Chickasha, Oklahoma, and then moved to Gainesville, Texas, and uh, worked his way up to uh, California, ran 20th Century Fox for a while, and um, was mean and had to be to uh, stay ahead. Understood. Well, that's a great story. It's a story of, of perseverance. Look, there's a lot of there's a, a lot that people can learn about the Cherokee Nation. Their their health outcomes as a community are much lower. Their life expectancy is lower. It is their the the life on the reservation is a very hard one. And and um, and uh, you know they the 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 story of the Osage Indians is also this is part of our this is part of our history. Um, John B has an interesting question. John and Freehold, go ahead, pal. Hey, well, um, hey, this is a quick question. Yeah, well, uh, listen, John, John asked, asked a good question. You, you, you were breaking up a little bit, so I'm going to let you go, but let me summarize it. John basically was asking, like, who should pay reparations? Who, you know, if these injustices took place, whether it be against African Americans, whether it be against Jews uh, during the Holocaust, whether it be Native Americans, these are these are tough questions. And um, I guess it's like anything else. It's like any conversation you would have with a friend or a neighbor or anyone else who might have harmed who might have harmed you. Um, you know, what is the entity that did it? Yes. One thing that I think has to be included in this conversation is that these questions are tough, but it comes down to the idea that some of us today, today, are benefiting from the harms that were done to others a generation, two generations, three generations ago. So it's one thing, and John intimated this in his in his his question. He says, "Well, I wasn't. I didn't do anything to you know. I'm I'm of German extraction, and I'm living in Germany. I didn't do anything. My uh, you know my parents didn't do anything to the Jews or or." Um, you know, I, I didn't do anything to, to, to the slaves. You know, I'm, I was born in 1964. But the question becomes, what is our obligation? I think that, that it's a tough question. Books have been written. And one of the things is that in Congress, um, there's a suggestion that they do what they're doing in California is just study it. Ask the question. What harm could come from just trying to learn a little bit more for years? Every year, 
There's a bill introduced in Congress that never gets passed, even with a Democratic majority, saying let's just study the issue of reparations, study who, who you know, what, what, you know, ask some of these tough questions. Um, they're not easy questions to answer, but I can tell you that many people are still benefiting from the discrimination that took past, even if they didn't, they didn't do it, um, they didn't do it themselves. But this is a tough question. Maybe it's a question we should devote a whole show to, even though. Um, you probably need more than an hour to figure out the question of reparations. Next, let's go to Ted in Paramus. Ted, go ahead, pal. Okay, like uh, first, we got to get a few things straight about the Cherokees back at that time. Back at that time, when Andrew Jackson arrived for his presidency in Washington, the Cherokees, the white leadership of the Cherokees, had set up a lobbying office in D.C. So as far as Andrew Jackson was concerned, they were part of the deep state. Now, the Cherokees at that time were one-third white, one-third half-breed, and one-third pure Cherokee. What Jackson did was he went around the whites, he went around the half-breeds, and negotiated directly with the pure Cherokees to come up with that, chair, with that uh, treaty. The execution of it was terrible. No people had ever been moved in that in that capacity, even without, you know, without modern transportation. But it had to be done by Jackson because he wasn't sure that the Cherokees in Georgia were going to step up and keep South Carolina from seceding back in that day. So it had to be done. And I don't approve of any domestic domestic uh, Indian tribe or any other people, meaning in the in the 48, except for the Samoans and the Puerto Ricans, that, that's okay. Having any sort of delegate in Congress, they can get a congressman. Well, uh, but doesn't that, so you don't, you don't believe, we should, we should abrogate that treaty. We should not, we should well, not we feel bound can. by it. We can't, we can't abrogate the treaty, right. I don't approve of it, but go ahead, give them a token uh, person to sit in Congress. Yeah, I mean, you, the, the, and I appreciate it, Ted, you gave us some of the history, but let's remember, you know, this was, this was a, a, a movement of people that was done at the point of the sword. You know, it was enforced by the United States Army. These people were chased out of their homes. Um, they were chased off of their lands. They were given very little opportunity. And you talk about have, who had a lobbying office. What this came down to is that the constituents that um, that uh, uh, the the president cared about were the the white settlers in that part who wanted to basically settle that part of what was first called the Deep South. Um, it's not a pretty it's not a pretty picture. But there's also, and it's true, a couple of calls have mentioned this now. There, there were factions of the Cherokee state that said we don't want the Cherokee Nation. We don't want any part of these negotiations. We're not negotiating to leave here. Now, eventually, they were left no choice. They, they didn't go on the, on, on the Trail of Tears willingly. They went because that was um, – they, they have no choice. They were basically, they were basically uh, chased there. Uh, we're up against a break, but let's go to Pat in Bronxville. Go ahead, Pat. I like your opinion in a way. We went af- we went after them, their property, right? I mean, didn't we start the war with the Indians? They had a fight for to save their land and stuff. Who do you think started all this? 
the Americans, the soldiers and all, going there? Well, no, I mean, that that's probably, thank you, Pat, but that's probably the easiest question to answer in all of this. These Native American tribes that were here, including on the, the ground that I, you know, standing on now here in Midtown Manhattan, they were here and we showed up. I mean, we even call them India's big Indians because we thought we had arrived in India. I mean, these Native Americans, they were here first. They're the we we are all there. We are all immigrants in this story. And they are the true Americans in this story. All that being said, um, that doesn't that doesn't mean that we're ever doomed to be evil for this. But we are doomed to doomed wrong word. We are bound to at least do what we can to live up to the parts of the obligations our forefathers did not. We'll see you on the other side for a few more minutes. 800-848-WABC. Thank you for joining me on The Middle here on a Saturday afternoon. It's The Middle with Anthony Weiner, 77 WABC. Welcome back to the middle. That's Squeeze. I'm Anthony Weiner. Ryan's on the other side of the glass. Curtis is clearing his throat. He'll be coming in at 3 o'clock for left versus right. He wants to talk about Twitter. I dare him to bring up Hunter Biden. I dare, I double dog dare him. I am such an expert on this issue. I know everything there is to know about it, but I am not an expert on Twitter. Whatever the opposite of expert. If there is a Twitter hall of shame, I am in it. We're talking a little bit today about Cherokee, the Cherokee Nation. I'm glad we have an opportunity to do that here. Um, we're talking about how it is an opportunity for the left and the right to work together in Washington to try to, not completely, but partially fix an inequity that emerged. Um, we just basically ignored that part of the treaty. Now, the way it works, I mean, it is a little bit complicated in a, in a legal sense, and I happen to think – there might be people who who challenge if Congress were to it's, – it's, it's a complicated thing because the Constitution speaks clearly on who a member of Congress can be. doesn't speak at all to who a, a um, delegate can be, nor does it speak to what kind of rights that delegate has. So um, there might be people who raise legal challenges to how this treaty gets enforced and whether or not Congress has a right to do it or not. Sure, that's fine. So long as we're having that conversation, and this is something that the Cherokee Nation is is pushing on now. They've chosen a person, as they said, to be their representative, and they're getting a favorable hearing in Washington at a time when it's really hard to find things Democrats and Republicans agree upon. There seems to be some agreement upon this because, you know, what is it about the conservative view, even though the hard nationalist, slightly crazy part of the Republican Party that would believe that you abrogate your treaties with Native Americans? Like who believes that? If anything, people probably would argue from a perspective of immigration today, if you really believe that we fo- you follow the rules, you follow the rules, that's on both sides. This would be a good talking point for both sides um, to say that we're doing the right thing, but we're also following the rules of immigration as they stood. We were the immigrants in that point. We made a, a deal with the people that – um, that were there. And, and it's just think about that. I mean, if you want to spend a little time, um, you know, to 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 read about the Trail of Tears, it was, you know, 
almost 2,000 miles of a hike, um, thousands of, 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 of members of the U.S. military basically um, under, the, under the, the control of uh, General Winfred, Winfred Scott evicted the, the Cherokees by force. Um, the Cherokee did get they, – they did get I think $5 million as part of it and they got about 7 million acres. Um, uh, they, they gave up 7 million acres of land for – of their ancestral homes for the 5 million – for that $5 million. And, and by the way, you know, this whole thing was negotiated with about – and a couple of people have mentioned this in the calls. Only about 500 Cherokee were really involved in the representing of this 16,000-member tribe. There were deep splits going on, but a deal is a deal. And, I, and, and, and the Cherokee Nation is unified today around the idea of living up to those commitments. Uh, next, let's go to Mike in Manhattan. Go ahead, Mike. Yeah, Anthony, thank you for taking my call. Um, some guy called in last week, and you kind of poo-pooed the idea, but he, was, he talked about the documentary 2,000 Mules, and I didn't see how that was uh, so far-fetched from when I checked it out. Um, okay, we can do it again with you if you want. I mean, I actually think it might have actually been you who called about it, but it's 2,000 Mules is a documentary uh, that, by the way, Everyone's kind of run away from now. You notice, by the way, here's an interesting thing. I mentioned this on my podcast, The the Middle Unplugged. The Republicans have announced they're going to do all these investigations and all these hearings and get to the bottom of all the great mysteries that they have emerged under Democratic rule. They're going to look at Hunter Biden. They're going to look at the politicization of the FBI. Um, You know what they're not looking at? Nowhere on the list. Elections being rigged and stolen and 2,000 mules, none of that stuff. Huh. I wonder why. Maybe they realize that it's not so great to be dealing in conspiracy theories. But this 2000 Mules thing written by uh, – produced by this guy who um, – uh, called Denise Souza. It basically says that people were going and stuffing ballot boxes in a way that led to thousands of people voting more than once. And this theory – uh, some of what is some of it is based on cell data of like who was around a particular spot, and a lot of people were around the uh, uh, polling places, which they would be if they're voting. Um, some of it was like videotapes of of some guy in a camera taking a picture of himself voting, which it turned out they found it on Instagram. The guy was just taking a picture of himself voting. But the thing that they did, and I referred to this last week, and you can go, a guy named Philip Bump, UMP, did a whole story, a long story for the Washington Post where he basically went minute by minute on this pod, on the um, 2000 Mules and debunked it all. One of the things that they did and one of the, like, the real smoking gun that they had is they had like, look at where the cell tings were happening of all of these mules, and I'm putting up air quotes here in the studio, and look at the, the map of where the polling places were. There's only one problem. It turned out those maps were faked. They were wrong. They were faked. The people that made the maps for this documentary even admitted as such. They said that they used this technology to, to arrest, to, to crack down. It's just bogus. But I listen, uh, for me as a partisan Democrat, and this is the middle here, but I'm a Democrat. Keep going with these conspiracy theories about the election. Just this week, it was the Democrats in Arizona that had to sue the Republicans that they report their own winning district because <laughs> they're still so – the more Democrat, the more Republicans talk about the craziness, these crazy conspiracy theories, you know, 
Donald Trump lost and he wasn't even that close. Donald Trump lost, wasn't even that close. Hundreds of allegations, dozens of court cases, not a single Trump judges, you name it. It, it just happened. That's what happened. And this time that, that Meshuggah woman in, 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 in Arizona, Carrie Lake, who made her whole campaign election denial, she turned a win into a loss. I mean, look, keep doing it. It it was the if you look at the single thing that made this sure the Senate went for um went for the Democrats this time, it was these conspiracy theories about elections. Move on, man. Move on. You guys are the Republicans are going to win a bunch of elections if they get back to talking about the things that are at the foundation of their party. So long as and that's why, as crazy and out there as the as the new House majority is, they're smart enough to know they want nothing to do with two thousand mules, fifty mules, or whatever else it is. Um, they're still going to do some stuff around Hunter Biden. They're going to suddenly be anti-law enforcement by by you know, saying the FBI likes you know is in on something. But you know, but there's been a good conversation today. A little bit, I, I will admit, a little bit different than you might hear the rest of the time on on 77 WBC. It's one of the things great about this station. I get an opportunity to do this. That's why John and Margot Katzmatidis have created such an amazing thing here. 77 WBC. This is the middle with Anthony Weiner. I love my Italian heritage and the food that goes along with it. That's why on Sundays after church, I head over with my father to Italo's Fine Foods on Forest Avenue in Staten Island with our list for mom. They have two locations on Forest Avenue, 1566 and the new one at 725. It's family owned and serving Italian specialties since 2014. They also have a full catering menu, the freshest meats, imported San Martano tomatoes from Italy, and the best mozzarella. Order in store by phone or online. They even deliver. ItaloFineFoods.com, I-T-A-L-O, FineFoods.com. Tell them Vinnie Madugno and W. ABC sent you. Manja.